This is the Satanic Panic, a podcast where we discuss the events and cultural shifts that morphed into a modern-day witch hunt. Up to this point, we've discussed the social pillars that built the Satanic Panic. Today, we're talking about a retired high priest of Satan and the frenzy he created when he capitalized upon the Satanic ritual abuse. We're your hosts, Hannah and Cameron, and listener discretion is advised. Satanism, the seduction of America's youth. The remains of mutilated I was so brainwashed. The sign of the devil. The church of Satan. In the devil's name. The power with devil worship and satanic beliefs. Babies that were Babies would be sacrificed. And now, the first family of Satanism. So I'm going to kick off the podcast today and tell you the story about one of my favorite people in this kind of arc that we've been on named Mike Warnke. You love him. I do. I love all the weirdos, clearly. To give you a mental picture earlier, Cameron compared him to Paul Giamatti. Yeah, picture Paul Giamatti, but like fat. And uh, with a mullet. A mullet. Like a frizzy mullet. Yeah, like a 90s, like he used too much Pantene Pro-V. Mm-hmm, like it's super slicked back in the front. Mm-hmm. And then just like... Just that like 1980s sitcom frizz. Yeah. And like a one earring, would you say? Just yeah, one. I feel like a spike maybe. Or it's a, a spike hoop. or I think it's a cross. Oh yeah, I think it is a cross. In most of them that I've seen, it's been just like a single earring. Very fashionable. Not on the gay side. The other ear, whichever is not <laughs> the... the remember in the 90s when everybody yeah. was like I think afraid was the like, right side. which one can you pierce? Yeah. yeah. But I never knew which one was. I I guess I didn't think it was that big of a problem. (laughs) Oh, it was big. Yeah. Paul Giamatti with a giant frizzy mullet and an earring and like pop bottle thick glasses. Mm -hmm. Like real thick glasses. Child predator thick. Yeah. With the the rim, with the the wire that goes across the top and around the nose. You know this style. Mm -hmm. The predator. To catch a predator. (laughs) He's a pretty likable fellow, actually. His name is Mike Warnke, and he was born in Indiana in 1946. He had a pretty tragic upbringing. He was orphaned by the time he was eight, and then after that, he was shuffled off from foster home to foster home. Do you know how he was orphaned? What does that mean? His mom died in a car accident when he was five, and then his father died. I don't remember how. I think it was illness or factory life or something like that. <laughs> got a coal the... miner's daughter. That's what he was. <laughs> he got pulled into one of those big conveyor belt machines. I don't like, know if they had that with in the hooks. <laughs> a trash compactor. Sure. He was shuffled off from foster home to foster home, and it was abusive and tragic. Mm-hmm. You know the classic tale of just a sad orphaned boy. Mm-hmm. He eventually made his way to California, where he graduated high school. Shortly thereafter. He became very involved in Satanism. I don't remember exactly what he says or how he says that he became introduced into it, but it was a tight spiral of drugs and alcohol and sexual abuse. He became indoctrinated into Satanism from, I think it was a heroin overdose. Oh, dang. Yeah, and so he um, rose up 
through the ranks. Yeah. Doing different sacrifices and making himself an integral part of the satanic community in California. Okay. He worshipped his way to the he top. He worshipped his <laughs> way to the top. And All right. Once he got there, he actually got kicked out because he was too knowledgeable. So it was oh, okay. too... <laughs> so he you... was a threat, I guess. So, okay. To so the... he became just too powerful. Like in your organization, Lord Voldemort's origin story actually. Oh. Mike Warnke okay. started as a yeah, because like when I start a, a business or an organization, I really like when somebody gets too good, they're fired. Fire them. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's ass not is good. Grass. Yeah, yeah. they're gonna come in here and take my job. Yeah, you want to be too good and make us too much money and publicity? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. So he was, um, I think he feared for his life, I would imagine, if you <laughs> or his were death. expelled. From- <laughs> I think life was fearful for him, <laughs> for those devilies. <laughs> the devilies. The devilies. Devilies. They hate life. They love death. So he joins the Navy, and it's during boot camp that he is introduced to Christ. So he makes this turnaround in the Navy. And while he's there, he performs many heroic feats. He receives a Purple Heart for being shot with an arrow. He also ex- survived many explosions. He was shot multiple times with guns. He killed an enemy soldier in a show of valor and glory. So he receives a Purple Heart for being shot with an arrow. And he goes home, relieved of his duties. And he goes home and he meets someone who travels around doing those big revival, those Christian revival meetings. Mm. So like the leap of faith style where you go to like a big barn or field of grass and there's someone up on stage and there's like hundreds of people there. Like true Passionately. Yes. Yes. Okay. I remember that scene. It's a much more relevant than Leap of Faith with Steve <laughs> Martin from the 90s. Yeah, I didn't even know what you're talking about. I kind of just let you go. Liam but. Neeson? Come on. I don't know. It's a great movie. Never heard of it. Really? No. It's really enjoyable. Sure. I actually watched that in one of my religious studies classes. Oh, that's because it's so realistic. <laughs> Liam Neeson is a small town cop. Oh, my God. In 1970. He met and began traveling with a man named Morris Corello, who was part of the Christian revivals. He was a Pentecostal evangelist who traveled the country giving revival meetings. And Warren Key, it was at this time between 70 and 72 while he was traveling with this man, Warren Key decided to come out with his story. Okay. All the devil shit. All the devil stuff. Okay. He wanted to come clean about all that he had done. Okay. So he shoots up into stardom right off the bat. He People want to hear it. This is the first time you get a confirmation. Okay, here's someone who was part of the satanic cult. Yeah. You know, he's adding... All that stuff you've heard about forever, but this here, guy's on our side. Exactly. And he experienced it firsthand. He experienced it firsthand. That's okay. exactly it. So he's like the voice of... I don't want to say voice of reason, but like, yeah, <laughs> adding a solid element to it. Yeah, what's the opposite he's of reason? Also, <laughs> He's madness, the voice of that madness. He also is a comes out as a Christian comedian. Okay, he comes out. So he's he was funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's outed as a, funny. <laughs> he's outed as hilarious. He is hilarious. I actually watched. Okay, hilarious is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I chuckled. I watched a couple different ones. They're very long. I could only watch parts of them. 
But they're funny. He's a little raunchy. He's really charismatic. Like, think of, like, a funny guy, Paul Giamatti, that, like, you're, like, want to have a beer with. Yeah. Hey. Paul Giamatti looks a little depressing to me, honestly. Yeah. A no. jolly Giamatti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a jolly Matty, yeah. <laughs> so he shoots up, and he writes this book in 72 called The Satan Seller. And the Satan Seller is a autobiography of him explaining all that had happened, mm-hmm. who he was, who he is now. And this book is just a massive success. It sells three million copies over the years, which is a lot for because it's very obviously a Christian kind of grouping yeah. that are going to buy that. So all the Christians, but also probably other people that were just interested. I guess that's true. Yeah, because it was during that kind of craze in, yeah. in time. Yeah, so that is true. It probably was good exposure. It was like Shania for- Twain, how she's like country, but then she had that pop crossover. I think that's most country these days. Yeah, but she was the first. <laughs> I That was shocking when she came up with that. It was up, wasn't it, that she goes into pop? Sure, I don't know. I do. <laughs> she's riding that motorcycle. <laughs> Yeah. Feeling like a woman. I love that CD. Yeah. <laughs> so he was pretty much a household name all through the 70s and 80s, uh, at least in Christian households. Yeah, I had never heard of him, but I didn't grow up in a Christian household. But I did recently when I did learn about him, I talked to some people about him and they definitely knew who he was. He's pretty funny. I watched a couple of his videos and he does this like... He's edgy. He's edgier than you would think a Christian comedian would be. He's is he edgier than Ellen. He is edgier than Ellen, I would say. He talks about being a conscientious objector to the war. He was actually able to leave the Navy for that reason, whatever they call that. I think it's called conscientious objector. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll say it is. Um, yeah, and like people that I've talked to or listened to, they like they idolized him. He was like super cool. He was. Like yeah. Elvis to the like hilarious yeah. Christian. And I did listen to one of his albums and it like the first side, I guess it wasn't. I obviously wasn't listening to a vinyl. <laughs> I'm not a million. But like you could tell that side A would be like the comedy. And then it does like a pretty big tonal shift mm-hmm. on the other side. Side it- B, it was m- it got into more of the preaching and the yeah. storytelling and he tells his story like every time. Yeah. Which is cool, you know, hook them and then leave them with a message. Yeah, definitely. He does do that. He actually, what he did do really well is it definitely does get preachier later on, but he would reverse in between telling stories uh, like he would do a c- 10 minutes of comedy and then mm-hmm. he would slip in something really like dark, like, when I was a high priest of Satan and there was these cats being mutilated and children being Jesus. tormented and teenagers were hooked on heroin. <laughs> so funny stuff. Funny stuff. <laughs> yeah. He, he really, really funny. He would get, you know, all these these people really worked up and it, it was in a roller coaster ride, which really is what good comedy is. Yeah. I mean, he sold did it. you see Nanette? That shit is a roller coaster. No, that made me cry. <laughs> And she even talks about that build and fall and rise and fall in it. And he had that down. I mean, he honestly, it. yeah, it's kind of hard to stop watching. I was hooked. I had intended to scrub through and I watched a lot more of it than I think Eric liked. <laughs> it was like 11 o'clock last night. <laughs> Can you turn that off? <laughs> but it's enjoyable and I think he's got a good message. 
And he began traveling around. Well, he was traveling all the 20 years. At one point, he began traveling with a couple different journalists who were working on their own project. And I totally don't remember what. But they were just like working on something while they yeah. traveled with him, spreading the word of God, doing they what was right. They were Christian journalists, right? Or Christian journalists, okay. evangelical journalists. It was a magazine called Cornerstone Magazine. Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Okay. And I think they're still around today. Oh, okay. And they were really good friends. They actually traveled around with Warren Keefe for something like 10 years. Dang. So they were like close with this person. Yeah. And as more and more time went by, they started to realize that something wasn't right. Something. Something. Just didn't seem right. Off. Okay. Was it his earring or his mullet? It was that and the fact that everything he said was a total lie. Every bit of his life was fabricated. Dang. He was an orphan, but he was never in foster homes. He lived first with two aunts in Tennessee and then with a different aunt in California. He was lied about even way back then. Way back then, yeah. I don't want to say that his life wasn't hard. He was an orphan. That's still really hard. Yeah. We've seen Annie. It was a hard knock life. (laughs) But he knew the people that he was living with. They were close family members. And from there, it just came spiraling out of control. These journalists, Mike Hertenstein and John Trott, they worked for years diligently uncovering all of the lies that he had told. So was it the media, the Cornerstone magazine people that uncovered it originally? That first, even though they were his friends, they were like, something's wrong. Dang. Yes. Ooh, that's and shade. They, yeah. Well, I mean, they were really hurt. A lot of people really thought of Mike Warnke as being this like elevated, high, wise, good, dang, whatever friend. That's crazy. Papa, you know, he goes <laughs> by Papa Warnke on Facebook. Oh, gross. <laughs> and he'll totally add you as a friend. If no, you're a friend thank you, budget. Daddy. Oh, I'm all past. Papa. Papa. <laughs> Daddy is infinitely worse. <laughs> Ugh, they're both bad. Daddy Warnke. <laughs> well, he was little orphan Annie. Oh, yeah. Papa Warbucks. Yeah. Oh, gross. Oh. Anyway, so he. God, they spilled the tea. Yes. They were like, mm-mm, <laughs> sipping. They uncovered, they, they diligently uncovered everything. Well, what'd they find out? What? That he, from, he, he was in the Navy and he did receive a book purple heart okay so that's true that's true but it they don't know why i don't think there was arrows involved he didn't kill anyone he didn't save anyone he was just it was like an honorable discharge for being hurt or whatever yeah so he did get hurt and he was in the navy but prior to that he was heavily involved in the christian community in san bernardino california even though he claimed to have been a bad boy he claimed to have been a high priest of satan that had long black Painted, sharpened fingernails. Didn't he say he had really long, like, dyed white hair? Dyed black hair, which his hair is, his hair is dark, but it's definitely not black. So Mike Warnke's autobiography that he had initially become famous for was called The Satan Seller. And the journalist's book that they, the counterpart to The Satan Seller is called Selling Satan. Okay. Which I think is a really clever. That is clever. Which you kind of had pointed out before. I did. I thought it was an odd choice to call his original memoir that came out kind of before he was famous or around the same time. Before, it was his yeah, it first launched. launching point. 
calling it Satan cellar and not cellar like a wine cellar, which mm-hmm. would make more sense to me, <laughs> but like Satan cellar sounds like he's Selling making Satan. money off of Satan. Yeah, it does. Which is what he was doing, but people didn't know he was doing that. Mm-hmm. It's like this is a big secret that you're hiding and you're pulling the wool over everybody's eyes, but you name your book Pulling Satan the Wool Over Seller. Your Eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That would be a better... Well, no. To be fair, that would give we it away. didn't buy the book and we haven't read the book. I've read excerpts. So maybe there's something in there that pertains a little bit better to the name other than... But hey, now it's just over. ironic that he would name it that when mm-hmm. it's like... Okay, you just tricked all these people. And didn't you say he at one point debunked another guy? Yes, he at one point debunked a man named John Todd in the early 70s. So Mike Warnke was the first one to think of saying, hey, guys, I was a high priest of Satan. Mm-hmm. And obviously people were like, oh, shit, that's smart. That's crazy. And now that's, you're on our side. Yeah. Well, I'm more of me that other oh, scammers. business-wise. Being like, that is a selling point. Because mm-hmm, yeah, it is. It is. So then he didn't like that other people were jumping on board this really smart idea he had. And he, yeah, he threw this guy under the bus, John Todd. What a sneaky bitch. Uh, but then later, this guy turned out to be a pedophile. Oh, gross. So, okay. yeah, fuck that John guy. John Todd. Mike Warnke, I stand by. I actually have this quote here. I don't, I mean, Mike Warnke, I stand by the fact that he seems like a likable fellow. I don't stand by Even Mike Warnke. Even though he made millions of dollars lying to the Christian community. Yeah, he's a terrible human being, and he added to the panic, and he... Okay, yeah, he's a bad guy. (laughs) I have a quote here from Goodreads by someone named Debbie. Ooh, Debbie from Goodreads? Mm -hmm. I love her. (laughs) And she says, I think the author of this book has been proved a fraud, but this is still an entertaining read. So he made Satanism look a little more lurid and evil than it is. I would still share a beer with the dude. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that puts it up there. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. But that's why he's such a good comedian and everyone bought his records because he is a good comedian. Yeah, he's He's an entertainer. He definitely has that draw to him. He was pretty standardly morally bankrupt as far as what we're looking at in the current comparison of living a Christian life. He was married four times, I think maybe even five. The first one seemed to be a pretty standard fresh out of college. Well, he he dropped out of college. Fresh out of dropping out of college wife. She fully supported him and was there by his side through the start of it. I wonder if she knew. I think that she had to. I mean, because there's... Because it started right out of... Well, he claims that the story began began right after high school before the navy yeah and after his first year of college Mm -hmm. which he only did one year right he did one semester one semester and if you look at pictures of him during that time which is also the time that he supposedly was being a a high priest Uh and he had sex slaves and everything yeah like you know all your standard just like stupid lies he looks like such a square yeah I, I mean, this guy is not smoking cigarettes. This guy's not drinking beer. No. He would have been in his early 20s, too. That's the other laughable thing is it's like, I don't think any high priest becomes a high priest before the time that they're like, what? I don't know, 35? You know, that's not like something that you quickly rise to. And he would have, he 
came out with the Satan seller when he was 25. Jesus. And he's already been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm yeah. Christian and reformed and a comedian now. <laughs> My skin was like scales. And I mean, it's just that outlandish stuff that you hear time and time again. Well, yeah. And I was trying to, I was going to tell you this earlier, but we stopped so that we could have it fresh on the, on the podcast. It, I know he's charismatic and people want to have a beer with him, but the fact that he can come up with these things, to me, it seemed like a fantasy. And I don't know, I may just be reading too much into this, but when I hear of a a man like this, uh, who's willing to lie to all of America and put his whole reputation on the line to make money, and he makes up these stories about having sex on altars and drinking blood and being this like demonic sex god there's something wrong like that's he's kind of living out these fantasies that he never actually did but he wanted to that's how i see it i mean i don't know if he really wanted to do that but to me for someone to make that up and make millions of dollars off of that it's something i think that was in his head I don't know. Yeah. No, you're right. It kind of grosses me out. Like, I don't want to have a beer with the guy. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's a creep. Yeah. Okay. That's that's totally fair. He just seems so nice. I know, but they all do. I'm sure Hitler seemed nice, too. He was very charismatic. (laughs) I don't want to compare Mike Warnke to Hitler, but I mean, but we are. Mike Warnke is Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) But you heard it here first, folks. Is definitely a creep. I, I do think know. a big part of it him. is that it was the Christian revival scene, and that's such a massive like showmanship scene. You know, that's oh, not yeah. something that you just have like a little bit of story for. I imagine that it was blown out of proportion during that yeah era in his life. But do you trust Pat Robinson? Do you trust Tammy Faye Baker? No, no, no. You, I don't. Who's Even Tammy the nice Faye Baker? one. Oh, that one guy's wife. The, she wears all the clown makeup. The guy that was apparently healing everybody, but he had the earpiece in oh. the whole time. Oh, that's so that's what Leap of Faith, Faith is about. Oh, okay. Well, full circle. It's like, I don't want to have even the nice ones. Like, I don't. Yeah, okay. Like, Joel Austin seems like a nice guy, but creep. Joel Austin has the most punchable face. He's up there with Martin Shkreli. I do not want to have it. But he does good stuff, but it's like, you know, he's kind of a creep. He's making all that money Mm -hmm. off of doing this. He's an actor. Yeah. If you look at Mike Warnke's homesteads during the time that he was the height of his ministry, he did have quite mansion ranch spread going on. He would also, going back to what we had talked about before, where he would weave in comedy and sadness, he would also pass around the tithing tray or whatever you call it as a way to raise money. So as soon as he would tell a story about how he had pulled some poor hapless teenager from the depths of Satan, he would Mm -hmm. then pass around all the silver trays. I just was blown away by him. He, like I said, you can find him on Facebook. He's still running a ministry. It's in California. His last few ministries have all been shut down for various... I can't believe people are still following him, though. Yeah, it's a much smaller following. It's definitely not the, the national one that he had before. And he does seem like a charismatic guy. He posts some funny pictures on Facebook. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Hannah loves him. I do. And I wish she wants to Tinder match with him. It's like when George Bush slips Michelle Obama a piece of candy and you're like, you sick fuck. (laughs) But you love (laughs) it. But you're fucking adorable and your your paintings are kind of (laughs) good. 
<laughs> Fuck you. Does George Bush paint? Yeah, and they're not bad. So is he Hitler? Mm-hmm. Everyone's Hitler. <laughs> He's like, I think, the number two Hitler. <laughs> yeah, there's like a list of Hitler. Well, we've got quite a few right now, unfortunately. <laughs> I would put Mitch McConnell up there pretty high yeah. on the Hitler list. Mike Warnke is the first voice to be like, yo, there is Satan. Mm-hmm. I was part of it. Here's what happened. There is a fire of people going, yes, we were part of this too. Yeah. And then it's all of the television specials. So it's kind of a metaphor for what the satanic panic is. It's like one story that has all the elements. Mm-hmm. So That's it's like it. he started it. He got a huge following and then fell from grace because there was no proof that it was actually there, which is what the entire satanic panic movement was. Yeah. In fact, Mass there's- hysteria, one event, mass hysteria, and then no evidence. And not just no evidence, but a lot of evidence in favor of the opposite yeah. side. Yeah, media Lo- trying to make it seem huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's pictures of him pre, pre-Navy in, in Christian groups. His, It's just, it's. I don't feel like I listed enough evidence debunking it, but you can buy the book and you'll be like, oh, <laughs> it's okay. hilarious. none of this is true. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they had a guy, some quotes from one of his friends um, growing up. When all this came out, that he was a liar, he was like, dude, we went to Bible camp together. Like, we went to youth ministry two times a week. Like, (laughs) you were not. I don't think you were high on heroin. (laughs) No. So he just... It's just not a thing. Yeah. Oh, Mike. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike. He is a good, like you said, a good segue into the television stuff. So we have talked about it before. I think we talked about it in the second episode when we were talking about that weird video we remembered of Anton LaVey mm-hmm. doing the rituals Yeah, where he's like in those black robes. Just trying to stir the pot. Yeah. So I actually found that was called Satanus, the Devil's Mass. Ooh. And that was released in 1970. So okay. before Mike Warnke. Mm-hmm. You got the devil's mass. Which well, is- that's probably why Mike Warnke jumped onto that wagon because people were in uproar over the satanic church mm-hmm. becoming what it was. Yeah. And then he was like, ooh, I can make a buck off of this. Check this out, guys. Yeah, he wasn't wrong. Hold my beer. So before Mike Warnke jumped on board with the satanic cult trend like he did um, after the uprising of the satanic church... We had another little-known hysteria, little-known, very well-known hysteria surrounding rock and roll music. In 1967, the Beatles released their much-anticipated album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. All right. You got it all in the one go this time. (laughs) That is hard to say. We've tried to do that over and over, and I can never say it correctly because it's stupid and long. Bunder, Kutch, Peppers, Crinkle Butt, <laughs> Hearts. Benedict Cumberbatch, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart <laughs> Benedict, Club Band. Benedict Cumberbatch's Hearts Club Band. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Your dad probably had the poster in his in his man cave growing up. <laughs> oh God, I hate that term, man cave. But the album cover is... You know, it's a big, it's the Beatles standing in front of a big group of people who are like cutouts and pasted like a collage of old famous photographs surrounding them like they're in a group photo with a bunch of famous people. Mm -hmm. So there's like 
the Beatles in the middle, and then the Beatles wax figures are on the left. Marilyn Monroe's in there a couple times. Their contemporaries like Bob Dylan are in there. But up in the left corner next to Mae West is a little guy, this little slimy little ball guy named Alistair Crowley. He looks like Uncle Fester from the Adams Family. Smells like Uncle Fester. He probably smells like something is festering in those pants. Is up there in the uh, <laughs> in the left corner of the album cover, and everyone's like, "Who dat? That's weird." I kind of recognize <laughs> everybody. Like, there's Gandhi, but who dat? New album cover. Who yeah. dis? <laughs> yeah, new album cover. Who dis? So it looked like the designer and the Beatles clearly were going for this new. They were referencing the Victorian age in the new Vic. Because in the Victorian age, in the 1800s, there was this cult counterculture revival where it was like art and music and like being a little alternative for the stiff Victorian era. Mm-hmm. And then they put in people like Bob Dylan and all Marilyn Monroe to bring it to the modern day. Mm-hmm. So they were clearly trying to go for that counterculture alternative people look. What year was this? 1967. Okay. So... Here's a little background on who that little bald man was and why he pissed so many people off. His name is Aleister Crowley. He was born in 1875 to a very wealthy and religious family. And they, because they were so wealthy, he really had to do nothing. So he spent his time... On Instagram. On gramming it, shiny bald heads. Gramming it? Gramming it, Instagramming it. Oh, gramming it. <laughs> Not- I thought you were trying to say granite. <laughs> Why would I be saying granite? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about <laughs> chiseling. Never mind. Totally. Oh, he was gramming it. He was. It wasn't as far back as the Flintstones, where everything was granite. <laughs> <laughs> that is where I went wrong. There, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so he was hanging out, didn't have to work, so he spent most of his time looking down on everybody. So he goes to Cambridge University. And starts traveling all around. And in his travels, he starts writing prose and poetry about his experiences in the world. Because his experiences were not like everyone else who had a, a job, you know, like a normal human. So he thought he was cool and better and writing. He was good at poetry. He was a good writer. I've read some of his stuff. He really was. As he was writing about all of his experiences, he started to get a little bit of a cult following because he was this, like a rich Hemingway. Who was the guy that did On the Road? Jack, Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac. He was like that kind of figure, but like wealthy. Mm-hmm. So he did a ton of drugs, had a lot of sex, like men, women, whoever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Hopefully not whatever, but <laughs> couches, walls, lamps, bread, bread. He was a bread pervert. He was a bread pervert, probably the first one. I'll look it up. Maybe I'm gonna hashtag it. Hashtag bread pervert, Alistair Crowley. <laughs> Let's get that going. So he partook in alcohol, stimulants, sex, opiates, and he wrote all about it, his adventures, and everybody like. The cool young folk thought he was super cool. He was like why the Beatles were doing it. He was like Dylan. He was like the Beatles. He was this new, cool, like anything goes kind of guy. 
And then he wrote a book called The Book of Law, which really, like Anton LaVey, his Church of Satan, his... The Satanic Bible? The Satanic (laughs) Bible. It was like that for the counterculture of the 1800s. book this that book. he released the book of law the book yeah, of law he claimed that it came through his wife and he just dictated it it was like otherworldly which is bullshit but it kind of went along with his whole philosophy of maybe the wife was just writing it maybe she was maybe the figurehead that's how it would go out like that back then right maybe but wouldn't she say something because she would have been in the victorian he era was like, he was fucking bread and stuff <laughs> she was probably like I'm not going to write your book. You're out there fucking bread and animals. <laughs> no, she wanted the fame. It was the only Maybe. way to get it. Maybe. So that's what got him a cult following. And the quote that everybody takes away from that book is, and <laughs> it's so stupid. And thou harm none. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of law. Love is the law, love under will. So it's basically what the Satanic Bible says of... I'm going to be honest, I did not catch any of that. Will you read that one more time? (laughs) And thou harm none. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of law. Love is the law, love under will. Okay. So he's saying... Basically, Basically, what you said, what the Satanic Church. What Anton LaVey went on, do what you want. Like, maybe don't harm anybody, but do what you want. Mm -hmm. Love over will Yeah, is basically what he's saying. The Beatles put him on their very, very famous 1967, much-anticipated album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and it caused people to really kind of get upset because when they researched who that guy was... The moms and the dads who didn't already didn't want you to buy in these Beatles albums were like, oh, he's their anarchists. They're promoting this man who is free love, free sex, free drugs. And it's like what the counterculture of the 1960s were also going for. Why? I thought he didn't really do anything like super evil then. Everyone hated him from like a small child. His mom called him the beast from... From the book of Revelations, the great beast or whatever oh. that one is, because he literally just took and did whatever. He was so a, he personally was a terrible person. He was the world's largest asshole. Did whatever he wanted, stepped on everybody, just thought he was so cool. There were I read a bunch of interviews from people who knew him, who had written about him. He had like articles written about him at the time. And they hate him. They yeah. like absolutely hate him. He's this pretentious douchebag who just fucks everybody. And is always drunk. And then writes about it like he's some philosopher. Okay. So pretty much a lot of people these days. Yeah. Basically every Instagram (laughs) influencer right now. (laughs) Basically any YouTuber who's written a book. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it's a thing. Oh, God. So that's why everybody was so afraid when the Beatles put him on the album cover, it kind of signified this turning of the tides. It's like, oh, the old Beatles are dead. We have this new hippie rock LSD laced Beatles album Mm -hmm. that scared parents, but kids really loved. Yeah. Like the people got behind Aleister Crowley who were like, oh, he's cool. Yeah. Like that's who the Beatles are trying to market to is why they put him on there. 
that's basically how that would fit into the satanic panic was the panic of parents being afraid of this new shift yeah and and the rock and roll that's just the musical side of the 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 movies that we've already talked about and the com- comedian and you see the panic rising in all different facets of pop culture mm-hmm. and i feel like the the beatles represents the musical aspect yeah one and of they the were, they were like the first ones to really be They've labeled, labeled, yeah, labeled as this something your kids shouldn't listen Mm -hmm. to. It's the, it's devil music. It's turning them into the side of Satan, just like parents were afraid of the church of Satan. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It all fits into that category. Yeah. So next we have. In 76, 25% of Americans tune in to watch Sybil. That's a lot. That is a huge amount. And it was a mini series. So they were like, they had to stay tuned. Yeah. I had 25% of Americans. That's, That's a lot of people. Yeah. I don't really know populations, but. It's like 50. <laughs> <laughs> In 1985, we get one of our first, like, really big television specials. Oh, and it's man. 2020. It's called Devil Worshippers. Yeah. It's a doozy. It is. I mean,. We have watched a lot of these, so they've all started to kind of blur together. But I can only imagine being someone watching it for the first time with no other one of these. They oh haven't sought it out. It's just playing on television. And they th- it's on television, so they know they, it's true. Yeah, you trust it. We <laughs> yeah. really, I mean, it's even in this day and age, knowing that everything can be so skewed and just wrong, we still tend to trust things that we listen to. Yeah. We're lying to you right now. Mm-hmm, this is not real. My name's not even Hannah. Nope. So the devil worshippers by 2020, they had what I, one of my favorite parts is they break devil worshiping down into three different tiers. They are okay. so knowledgeable about it. They can make tiers out of it. And who is the, who is the, the knowledgeable? Who's the head who of the, the knowing expert? this? Yeah. No, just the, the people writing it. Just the, the reporters. Expert. Yeah. Okay. Mike Warnke is actually <laughs> on there as an expert. Okay. Tier number one is the self-styled Satanist. Self-styled, so they dress themselves. They are styled like Satanists. They are teenagers that are just kind of dabbling in the occult. Okay. So, so you know, like the West Memphis Three kids. Yeah, or, or so Tommy seen. Sullivan or okay. any of our little teenagers that are just like people playing Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. that kid from... Egbert the Third. Egbert. Yeah. Well, R.I.P. Tier number two is religious Satanists. Those are protected by the law. 2020 makes a point of saying. Well, yeah. Because it's just a religion like anyone else. None of them should be, Mm -hmm. but they are. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. I do (laughs) like that. Then number three is satanic cults. So they have really, like you said before, like who is the expert who have just decided that there are teenagers, active, religious, studied people, and then the satanic cult. They also point out a way to... <laughs> they also point out satanic clues that they use oh, to good. identify <laughs> coffins. <laughs> okay. So just if like, you have an excess. If of, you just got a bunch of coffins. Probably a Satanist. Okay. Well, I'll be sure not to buy any more. <laughs> General paraphernalia. All right. So, so just stuff that says... Satan. Satanist. Mm-hmm. Satanic bitch on your t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I really want that shirt. <laughs> Satanic bitch. Oh, man. That would go over well at work. Some beer koozies. Kidnapping. <laughs> Which I think in itself is 
bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's already a crime. Like- <laughs> so you're like, okay, my kid has been kidnapped. That's one of the signs of being a Satanist. Satanist. Got it. <laughs> Connected the dots. The last three, <laughs> I'm going to just run through sexual abuse, cannibalism, and cremation. So literally anything. Literally anything. Okay. I mean, bad okay, I guess stuff. cannibalism isn't literally anything, but literally anything really bad that's already illegal. Yeah. I think if you satanic. saw somebody being cannibalized, you should just call the police no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Don't be like, look oh, no, for other Christian clues. Christian cannibals. <laughs> they're fine. They're good. Yeah, they're good. They're, they're not Satanists. They're fine. Is that Mike Warnke? Oh, he's okay. <laughs> oh, he's, he's good. He's hilarious. <laughs> look how funny so. he is eating that guy. <laughs> I'd pay money for that. He does get off on all that that pain humor. <laughs> so we had Devil Worshippers by 2020. In 87 and 88, we get two Geraldo specials. One is called Satanic Cults and Children, and I actually couldn't really find that no, one anywhere. No, they've kind of taken that off the internet. I think that they must have been particularly bad because they're, yeah, like you said, it feels like they've taken it off the internet. You can find pretty easily from 88... Geraldo's Exposing Satan's Underground. And that's the one they always quote. Like, you see that everywhere. Mm -hmm. Satan's Underground is, like, the number one go-to. Exactly. For being just ridiculous. I just don't even know how to add to just that. You just need to watch it. Yeah. It's It's just fueling that fire, making that money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, he... He talks to people who have been victims. He talks to victims' families, people who have actually been abused, people whose family members have been murdered. And it's really hurtful and harmful Yeah, the way that he approaches it. Yeah. It's all for the popcorn effect. Exactly. It's all entertainment. And there's a couple other ones in 89. Oprah gets on board. She interviews Michelle Smith. She does interviews with survivors of MPD Mm -hmm. with child sexual abuse. And Michelle Smith was Sybil's writer, wasn't she? Yes, the writer of Sybil, yeah. Or Michelle Remembers. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And in 1989, Sally Jesse Raphael does one called Baby Breeders. Ooh. Which, again, just like Geraldo, you cannot find that one. Let me know if you can, because I would love to see it. The (laughs) name alone is like, ooh, Baby Breeders. (laughs) Sounds disgusting. Well, it sounds like literally someone having a baby, which is normal. (laughs) I think the point is that it would be people breeding babies for For, okay, eating for for dinner okay <laughs> really hungry i could eat a baby this right isn't now. like most women baby breeders so that all kind of leads us up to the proctor and gamble story that kind of happened in the media yes the story in quotes it's more like a really stupid rumor that gets big time out of control and honestly like i already knew this before i was researching it i had already heard proctor and gamble worships the devil and it was like a joke. I would say, ooh, you can't use that. Procter & Gamble, they worship the devil. So when I did start researching it, it's crazy. So apparently in 1994, on March 1st, the president of Procter & Gamble appeared on the Phil Donahue show. So if you don't know who Phil Donahue is, it was like a daytime talk show. He was a ex-journalist, I believe, and he just had... It wasn't as crazy like the Oprahs and the jerry springers and the sally jesse Raphael, more one of the serious like expose style they actually had legitimate people on there like 
the president of Procter and Gamble, supposedly. It was people like that where he would just talk and it was like inside the actor's studio, but for like housewives listening to an author talk. Who he won like who a Who do ton you of think Emmys. is watching inside the actor's studio? Uh <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think the answer to that is no one. Because <laughs> that show is dumb. It's like, we get it. We don't care what you had. That You had cornflakes, Julia Roberts. We already saw that on your Twitter, Julia Roberts. <laughs> get out of my face. But I digress. So back in March 1st, 1994, the president of Procter & Gamble appeared on the Phil Donahue show. He announced that due to the openness of our current society, which has never been that way, (laughs) he was coming out of the closet about his association with the Church of Satan. He stated that a large portion of the profits from Procter & Gamble products go to support the Satanic Church. And when asked by Phil Donahue if stating this on TV would hurt his business, he replied, there are not enough Christians in the United States to make any difference. And that really pissed people off. Christians were like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're in numbers. (laughs) Look at us boycott. (laughs) Look at us boycott all Procter & Gamble products, which is exactly what happens. Their stocks plummet. Mm -hmm. And they own everything. If you guys, I mean, look in your, go in your kitchen or your bathroom and look at the brands. I'm sure most of them are going to say P&G on it. Even now. Even now. So I guess still. it didn't really And they own that everything, much. like Dawn, Dish, Show. I guess Let there me... aren't that many Christians in no. America. <laughs> they just, re- they bought all the other brands so nobody knows, like Pringles and shit. They own everything. They're huge. It's one of the biggest, like. Yeah, like Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. They own a lot of stuff that you mm-hmm. didn't even realize that they owned. So that really started this fire. Oh my God, Procter & Gamble. Awful, awful, awful. He's giving a bunch of the proceeds to the Church of Satan in 1994 but come to find out everyone comes forward procter and gamble's like say what our president first of all has never been on the phil donahue show and he is not a satanist this is so completely fabricated fabricated to the point that he wasn't even ever on the show No, he's never even been on the it's show. not like they twisted his words they no. literally put words into it's his... not like he joked about it like on the phil donahue show oh i give my proceeds to satan it wasn't even something like that it was he literally has never set foot on that stage mm. but somehow this everyone believed this like everybody thought this it wasn't a small little rumor in a circle it was the entire united states to where they were like scrambling they were putting out press releases like we are not associated with the with the church of satan our president never said that blah 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 wasn't on phil donahue it was not we don't even like phil donahue phil donahue's a nerd (laughs) did you see those pop bottle glasses nerd he would never Did they ever figure out where those rumors came from? Yeah, they actually did. But before we get into that, we'll talk about what happened after that rumor got started with the logo. Oh. So the P&G logo was, it's a moon with curly hair. It's like kind of like Father Christmas if he were like a crescent moon. Mm -hmm. So it's like a profile of an old guy with curly hair and the these curls come up into a point on both ends of the crescent moon and then a bunch of stars in front of him. It's like if the first Starbucks logo had been an old moon man. It looks like the Starbucks logo if it were a moon guy, not the mermaid. That fucking mermaid. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just have to see it all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. The headquarters are in Seattle. In Seattle and it's like... They, her head peers up at you out of the building. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> building you come up over this all. bridge. And she's like peeking over. It's just her eyes. It's like, oh my God. And literally on all four sides of the building. <laughs> yeah. So no matter what angle you're coming at it from, Mermaid she's demon. It's terrifying. Starbucks worships the devil. It does. Oh, they were on Phil Donahue. I heard that Starbucks went on Sally Jesse Raphael and said that they give all their proceeds to Satan. And they get all of their ground coffee from babies. From the souls of babies. (laughs) Baby soul coffee. Baby soul coffee. (laughs) Oh my God, I would go Coming this fall. (laughs) Baby soul frappuccino. (laughs) That sounds like a death clock song. (laughs) Baby soul, baby soul. Oh my God. (laughs) Tag it on Twitter. I just got the new baby soul frappuccino. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. It's not strawberry. (laughs) Back to... The logo. The logo. So yeah, that's what it looks like. So everybody started picking apart like, oh my God, if they're the devil, like there's probably signs everywhere. So they start looking at the logo and dissecting it. And they think that the curls coming to a point on the ends of the crescent moon are two devil horns. So when they spiral into a point, it kind of does look like like unicorn horn because it's like spirally and curly Mm because it's hair. Uh But everyone thought that those were devil horns. And in his actual beard are the curls, and it appears some of them look like sixes, clusters of sixes. The different little swirly, mm-hmm. curly cues yeah, look, look like, like six, six, six. Clusters of six, 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 which is so stupid. And then the stars in the sky, if you connect the dots like a children's crayon book, you can make six, six, six out of the stars. So people were like, oh my God, it's true. They're... In everybody's house, and they worship the devil. Mm -hmm. We are fucked. Jesus is going to be pissed. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. We're all screwed. So that makes them plummet even further. So they're scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. So in 1994, they actually changed the logo to kind of what we see today, just the P and G, a cursive and P and G. Mm -hmm. And then today it's a little bit different, but they've actually added the moon shading back into the P. No way. So now it's like a P with like a moon shading and G. Oh. In like the curl of the P. for them. I know. They're like, fuck you guys. We're going to do it back. <laughs> Bring the moon back. Exactly. So actually what you brought up earlier about like how this rumor actually did get started, we didn't know for a very long time. This was in the 80s and the 90s when all this was going down. But in 2007, they were still filing a suit against like whoever started that. They were still... St- it was They call it the 1995 lawsuit, but it didn't really get solved until 2007, which is when they charged... Um... All May. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Craft. <laughs> no, um, they charged... Um, Amway. Amway. That's <laughs> you were close. I thought that was like Cutco where they sold knives. It's kind of is. It's a pyramid scheme that when I was young, like my parents would have to go to these Amway parties from their friends, and that's how they lost all of those friends because my parents were like crazy. It was a multi-level marketing company that sold things like P and G did. So it was like oh. household ob- like toilet paper and cleaning supplies and bleach and like was m- they were selling that through an MLM 
My or, parents weren't. No, no but no, we knew people that did. Amway was selling things like toilet paper when you could just go to the store and get yeah, toilet paper. Yeah, but it was like convenient because it was delivered. Oh. But it was like cheap stuff. It was like one ply. It was not good, mm-hmm. but it was cheap. And the more people that you brought onto your Amway team, so, the higher up you got. So it's literally a, a pyramid, pyramid scheme. It's multi-level marketing. They were actually charged, I think, $17.5 million they lost in this lawsuit from like way back, which isn't going to put a dent in P&G because, I mean, they're like, thank you for the money and thank you for saying that, but like they don't need the money. That's what I'm saying. But finally, they were able to put that to rest and they found out that Amway actually used their call list of all their customers and everything to send out a mass recorded message saying to stay away from Procter and Gamble because they went on the Phil Donahue show in 1994 and said all this shit about Christians and the devil and how Christians there's no Christians that can take us down and everybody believed it and that's how it started but nobody really knew that for a long time which is crazy yeah that's nuts so using that call list is like I think that I'm just like really angry about it because i get so many robocalls right can you imagine if one of them was oh by the way yeah (laughs) you've got a satanic presence in Uh your house (laughs) oh yeah there's a king in nigeria who needs your money also procter and gamble (laughs) is the devil (laughs) i'm just so over all these calls oh my god it's ridiculous in the lawsuit they actually couldn't you know what can you do this many years later they just the reason they charged them was for misusing their call list for fraud in like a corporate setting wow. or something like that. Yeah. But that's where, how they lost it. But Amway's still around. Amway's still around and Procter & Gamble is still around. ruling the world. Yeah. So they're fine. But it did cause a lot of confusion for a little while and everybody kind of went nuts. Wow. Yeah. That's a good story. It's a great story. It's really interesting, This the corporate side of the satanic panic that you we don't really talk about all that much. Yeah. We talk about it in media, movies, but like in corporate America, how, how that was scare. Mm-hmm. And right. just the money. I think that's what this episode has been a lot about is just like people capitalizing, whether it's pushing yourself to the forefront of like primetime television or using it against your enemies. Because I'm sure that there's tons of cases we didn't even think of or have covered where in the corporate world, someone rose or fell because they're linked to Satanism. Yeah. Amway was like, oh, people are afraid of Satan in the 90s, 80s and 90s. Well, we're going to use that as a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. Here you go, Procter & Gamble. You're Satan worshippers. Wow, and how bold to just send out a message. Mm -hmm. I imagine they obviously didn't tack their name to it, right? No, I think it was just a random call. It wasn't from Amway, even though it was. Yeah. It didn't say this is Amway. Can you imagine that? legal case how boring that would be you know that scene in clueless where they're all like highlighting phone Duh. conversations <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what i bet it is like years of just like highlighting millions of phone conversations well terrible. nowadays it would be texts like oh, i watch yeah. a lot of like murder like cold justice is one of my favorite shows and like half of them are this just these two southern women going through text logs and they're just like in a room silently highlighting and then one of them will laugh and they're like ooh that's dirty and they highlight it for cause it's like a woman has disappeared and they have her text log yeah it's pretty hilarious oh. well not the part about her disappearing no, no that's 
that's not unless she got taken by clowns then it would be funny <laughs> that's very 2017 cameron Wee herman would have done it it would have been hilarious that's very 2004 cameron <laughs> shut up i'm relevant all right i guess that it's time to wrap this episode up I would recommend if you are bored some night, I would recommend going and listening to our old pal Mike Warnke. I do think that he's got kind of a nice message about spreading love if you're able to separate the whole, you know. Yeah. If you can separate his words from his actions, Mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah. But other than that, thanks for bearing with us. That was a good one. Yeah. I got to say a lot. I know. I know. I know. I'm tired of talking. I need to I know. My head hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us this week. We will... We'll be back. Yeah. um, With more on the satanic panic. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. And when the Lord decided to call me, he called me so that I could use my talents for him. Now, I don't sing. I don't play the piano. I don't dance. I'm not a great orator. I'm not a pulpit preacher. There's only one talent I have. I am weird. Visit us online at satanicpanicpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at satanicpanicpodcast. Special thanks to Stephen S. for providing the artwork and Eric Z. for providing the equipment. Theme music to our show is provided by Free Music Archive and the song is Night Owl by Broke for Free. Thanks for tuning in. Hail Satan. <laughs>